Well, good morning to you. Uh, Whatever the time is, welcome. So glad that you're joining me as we continue going through the Bible and uh, looking at what the Word of God means for us, rightly dividing it so we can apply it to our lives. Very excited to uh, look today at Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Um, it's, it's actually called a morning prayer, a prayer for guidance. So if that's you and you need guidance right now, this is a great, great psalm for you. Uh, now, the psalm that we are looking at today contains the title, To the Chief Musician, with flutes, a psalm of David. Now, it shows David coming to the Lord in the morning and receiving the strength of the joy that he needs in order to make it through the day against all the adversaries that he has. And uh, so that's what we are going to be looking at today. Now, a reminder, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, my Facebook page, Anthony P. Richards, my Instagram page, AP Richards. If you haven't done it, uh, please do it. I'm asking you to. What else can I do? Come and knock on your door. I, I, it's not, I'm not trying to create a fan following. What I'm trying to do is create opportunities for this to be shared. Please comment. If you get something out of this, please comment. It really does encourage other people. It also helps other people as they come back and look at things and they watch videos in the future and they see, oh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that out of it. That's a great observation. So uh, please do that. Okay, Psalm 5, uh, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. David longs for an audience with God, and he's using, in in this writing here, he's using a Hebrew method that was used in writing of poetry called parallelism. Uh, This is is the definition, where the writer uses a series of words so that you can see patterns of deliberate contrast or intentional repetition. So here he repeats the same idea three times. Lord, please listen to me. That's what he does in these first few verses of Psalm 5. Give heed to the voice of my cry. So he says, give ear, give heed. Uh, My voice you shall hear in verse 3. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. David prayed to God. Now, That may sound very simple. Of course he prayed to God, but it's actually an essential aspect of prayer. Often we come to prayer so full of our request and so full of our feelings that we never consciously focus on God and the sense of his presence when we're praying to him. David was a man and he was a great man of prayer because his prayer time was focused on God. Uh, Tori said this, very much of so-called prayer, both public and private, is not under God, In order that a prayer should be really unto God, there must be a definite and conscious approach to God when we pray. We must have a definite and vivid realization that God is bending over us and listening as we pray. I love that that imagery. Verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. David made it a point to pray in the morning. He did this because he wanted to honor God at the beginning of his day, not at the end. And he wanted to set the tone for his day uh, and make sure it was dedicated to God. 
Hudson Taylor, he was a famous missionary to China, and he actually had trouble finding time alone with God because he became so busy. So what he started to do was wake himself up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and he would then use those quiet times when everybody else was uh, asleep to basically commune with God. My own pa, William Hawkins, used to do the exact same thing. When I was a kid growing up, and I'd go to stay with him on, uh, during school holidays, um, it would be, I'd, I'd wake up at like, you know, four o'clock in the morning to a light underneath my door. And it was Pa getting up to do his Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, and to do his devotions. And that's when he would do it at four o'clock. And he would do it between about four and five. Then he'd go back to bed. And then he'd get up at, you know, 6.30, whatever, and go and play golf. Um, there was, there's something to be examined. I would say the older I become, <laughs> uh, the more I, 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 and understanding this as a better rhythm of, of starting off my day and committing it to God rather than trying to ask God to redeem my day by the time I get to the end of it. Um, Spurgeon said, the morning, this is the fittest time for intercourse with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. Isn't that fantastic? Um, in the morning, David gives us what to do before and after prayer. Before we pray, we should direct our prayer. After we pray, we should look up with expectancy to heaven, believing that God actually will answer our prayer. Spurgeon again. Let holy preparation link hands with patient expectation, and we shall have far larger answers to our prayers. <laughs> so much gold in this. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. This is a contrast between the wicked man and the godly man that uh, David's about to write in. And he says, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. David uh, meditates on the righteous character of God. And you have to understand our actions matter before a God who does hate all, matters, uh, all workers of iniquity and sin. Um, James, Montgomery, James Montgomery Boyce said this, As David drew closer to God, he became more aware of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. This is a good way to measure how well you are praying and whether as you pray, you are drawing close to God or merely mouthing words. If you are drawing close to God, you'll become increasingly sensitive to sin in your life which is inevitable since the God you are approaching is a holy God. So it's a good way to see if we've still got the same sin in our life. It's, it's reflection on our prayer life. This is what, what David was talking about. Verse uh, 6. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come unto your house. Hmm in the multitude of your mercy. How do you come into God's house? I love that. In the multitude of your mercy. In other words, in the multitude of you withholding all the punishment that I deserve for everything I've done wrong. In fear of you, I will worship. In reverent fear, I will worship you and worship toward your holy temple. This is David's confidence. It's not that he is righteous and everybody else is a sinner. He, his ground of confidence is the mercy of God. 
That's where it is. Do we have that? In you, I, in fear of your worship. David's worship was never based on his feelings of what he was going through. It was always based on his reverence for a righteous and merciful God. Verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. This reflects David's constant reliance on God. He needs God to lead him and to make his way straight. God, David's contrast between the wicked and the godly is actually very humble. And he knows it's only God's power and work in him that can keep him from the way of the wicked. Verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Uh, This is the description and the destiny of the wicked. Not so good. Uh, There's no faithfulness in their mouth. David focuses on what the wicked say as evidence of their wickedness. See, David knew what Jesus said later in Matthew chapter 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our righteousness or wickedness will sooner or later show up in what comes out of our mouth. And David felt the sting of wicked words from others and lies against him. But this prayer showed something uh, good was brought out of the attacks from the enemy. They flatter with their tongues. See, uh, the the same wickedness that comes out can also come out in the form of flattery. Um, Always beware, Spurgeon said this, always beware of people who flatter you especially when they tell you that they do not flatter you. Uh, You've all met people like that. Hey, I'm not flattering you, but you know. Uh, He says, and that they know that you cannot endure flattery, for you are then being most fulsomely flattered. So be on your guard against the tongue of the flatterer. Um, Oh gosh, it's so easy to fall for flattery, especially when somebody says, I'm not about to flatter you. Um, Okay, verse 10. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. David prays that the wicked will come to their deserved end. And as rebels against God, what do they deserve? They deserve a guilty sentence. But the bottom line that David realizes here is that God takes care of them, not him. It's not his job. It's God's job. Verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. The righteous aren't made righteous by their words. The righteous are those who trust in the Lord and they love his holy name. But their righteousness is evident in their words. They rejoice, they shout for joy, and they are joyful in the Lord. Uh, Spurgeon, a touch of enthusiasm would be the salvation of many a man's religion. (laughs) Some Christians are good enough people, but they're like wax candles. They have never been lit. Oh, for a touch of flame. Let them shout for joy. Why not? Let orderly folks object. The shouting need not always be done in a public service, or it might hinder devout hearing. But there are times and places 
where a glorious outburst of enthusiastic joy would quicken life in all around. The ungodly are not half so restrained in their blasphemy as we are in our praise. There's a lot in that. That's a, that's a little Nuggetville sentence right there. Uh, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. That's a permit, a precept, and a prayer, and a promise. Okay, what do I mean by that? You have permission for joy. You have a precept, a command for joy. You should pray for joy, both in yourself and others. And you have a promise of joy. God promises joy and gladness to believers. Light is sown for them, and the Lord will turn their night into day. Another Spurgeon quote. <laughs> Verse 12. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. This is the greatest blessing of all, the favor of God. Knowing that God looks on us with favor and pleasure, it's the greatest knowledge that we can have in the world. That's our standing in grace. David Guzik says this, A shield does not protect any one area of the body. It is large and mobile enough to cover any and every area of the body. It is armor over armor. This is how fully the favor of God, our standing in grace, actually protects us. So, what do I observe from this psalm today? David Always, he, he seemed to have, this is, okay. David seemed to have great self-awareness of his weaknesses after the fact, okay? But at least he arrived at a point of self-awareness. In other words, whenever he messed up, he eventually got to a point where he went, oh, I messed up. That's the difference between him and Solomon. Solomon became wiser and more wealthy than David, but he's never seemed to end up in a point where he was self-aware of his weaknesses. So even though he became the wisest man who ever lived, he still didn't, he lost that awareness. And that's why uh, God said things about David that he never said about Solomon. That when, when God said, David has a heart after me. Um, why? Because David understood that the joy of the Lord was his strength. The same as what Nehemiah wrote in Nehemiah chapter eight. He says, listen, understand that, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Um, when I want to weep, and when you want to weep, we have to understand that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Now, finally, my final observation is I love how in the Old Testament, grace is evidently God's plan all along. It, it's the story of the gospel is that it's the gospel of grace. But grace was always God's plan. See, to give up and to give us good things that we don't deserve has always been the very nature of God from Adam in the garden all the way through to you and me. Um, and and that is, that's a part of us. Uh, it's a part of our identity. And it was a part of our identity in the Old Testament. It's a part of our identity in the New Testament. It's just clearer in the New Testament of where it comes from through Jesus Christ. Now, a part of that good gift that we don't deserve, that grace, is guidance. God's guidance. We don't deserve God's guidance, but we get it. 
And so if you need it today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray because I'm believing that God's going to supernaturally give you guidance in not just uh, your situation, but in what to pray for in your situation. Uh, to be able to pray God, God's prayers for your heart, your circumstance, your situation. Uh, so let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for everybody watching this. I pray, God, that you would just wrap every single person, Lord, in your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide their prayers so that you can then provide adequate guidance to them about their situation, about their circumstances, about their heart, God. I pray, Lord, that uh, if they feel like their prayers have gone unanswered, Lord, that if there's an opportunity, Lord, right now for you to redirect their prayers because maybe they weren't praying in accordance with your will, uh, that, God, that you would allow their prayers to be just redirected. But, God, I pray that you would give them an incredible confidence that it's part of your grace that you want to guide them, that you want to give them what they need, and that, God, that you will bless them and th that... You, your favor, your favor would surround them just like a shield in every area of life, just like you promised, David. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.